Welcome to this episode of the I Heart My Community podcast. Today I'm speaking with Natalie Nokawak of King Harden. Natalie is an active social worker and registered therapist who also specializes in EMDR therapy and assisting in training and consulting in EDMR therapy, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. Natalie has had a varied and deep experience working in social work across Canada, including in in Nunavik, where she established the first ever mental health resource center for adults, including developing parenting support and parenting skills with Inuit and non-Inuit families and youth. And now in private practice, uh, locally here in King Harden, but also providing counseling virtually across Canada. My conversations with you, Natalie, have really helped me to understand the important role that social work has in building strong communities. And I'm so delighted uh, and, and excited to have this conversation with you. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's an absolute pre- pleasure, Jackie. Thanks so much for having me. So Natalie, I, I was just so fascinated in, in your perspective around uh, social work. Can you share with our audience you know, what, what, what is social work? What does a social worker do? Yeah, it's, you know, I'm not sure if people are aware how much sometimes social work is implicated in society and what a role that social work has. So social workers are basically a mental health worker who help provide and the goal is to help with human well-being. So that really varies across a whole spectrum of work in society. And they're actually the largest group of mental health professionals in North America. So social work is involved in so many aspects of life, which is what I love so much about it. So it can be an aspect that starts from grassroots and community organizations working in poverty and really advocating for vulnerable populations of people. Uh, to better their lives or offer supports and all the way up to schools. There's often social workers in schools and school boards supporting teachers and students um, um, in government policy making. So um, hospitals will often have social work involved in discharge planning and support to patients and families. So uh, many people are aware mostly I think of social work in the child and family systems through Mm -hmm. children's aid and and child welfare um, because they do hire largely social workers to do that aspect of work. But really social work is implicated in so many different parts of society and organizations and community and involved also in private practice. Um, There's a number of counselors who are social workers in private practice, teaching universities, professors and so on. So I could go on with the no, I'm, but it's I, quite vast. Yeah. So, and so if you could just uh, articulate a little bit, so, and I, and I, you know, when you said, I think people think about work with children is often the work of a social worker. So when you think of the role in community with social work, you talked about poverty, you know, discharge plans from hospitals. Um, what is the essence of what the social worker, you know, role would do in those sort of non, you know, in those ways that we think about social work that are not traditional in terms of what our our viewers might see social work as? I believe in all aspects, the social worker is really there to advocate for the best well-being of a person. Mm. And I think what I love so much, I'm so passionate about social work. I love so much the broadness of the perspective of social work in that it looks not only at the individual, but the family system 
and the role in society. So it's this whole network. So the social worker's there to sort of network with the person, Mm -hmm. but advocate for their own abilities to do that as well. So bringing forth like the best aspects of a person, seeing them, you know, as well as being able to cope through whatever problems they're going through. So it's looking at the individual, it's looking at the family system, it's looking at friends or other Mm -hmm. supports, community involvement, whether that might be, um, you know, volunteer work or church for some people or being involved with animals or assisting other things and there's such a variety Mm -hmm. sports or different organizations that a person might choose to be involved in at the community level and then even at a larger level at at times you know beyond the community how is a person able to connect to their province or their country or in the world. I mean, it can go on and on, like the broadness and depth of social work and looking at a person's um, holistically as well, like a person individually, but aspects of themselves that are important to themselves, their physical health is taken into account, their mental health is taken into account, emotional health, spiritual health for those who practice spirituality, as well as uh, psychological health, social health. So it really looks at the kind of biopsychosocial model of it, where Mm -hmm. it's a holistic view within an individual, but also a holistic view around the individual and how do you broaden that? Oh, it's so, so beautiful. Really, I just had this image come up of sort of like walking into somebody else's experience and taking a look around of what how might this person's, you know, experience be in the world um, and taking a look around and, and you're, and you're trying to, to, to see how that's going to work for that person and how that's, how they're going to navigate whatever it is, whether it's something in their community, whether it's, you know, I, I just think of that hospital example, as this person goes home, imagine being in their shoes now and having to navigate. And it sounds like you're, you're taking into to consideration that whole person perspective. How does that yeah. person um, you know, operate in the world, in their family, in their, and then I love that even the thinking through to how do I relate in my town, in my province, in my country? It's, uh, yeah, I just appreciate that perspective that I hadn't realized it was so deep and wide. I think there's a real, um, you know, and it varies person to person. So mm-hmm. I can speak to myself personally as a social worker, there's such a humility in the job of social work as well you know, you work with such a um, range of people in different situations, and there are so many different situations. So I'm thinking I've had experiences going into very, very wealthy people's homes for home visits to help them say with an autistic child, um, to experiences where I've gone into somebody's home with rubber gloves, to a cockroach infested home, um, with piles of dishes, because their sink is clogged, and they're just too depressed to get out of their bed. And just to go in there and just with gloves mm. on, unplug their sink and do a few dishes and give them a sense of dignity. It's not fixing the problem or making them feel like they can't do it, but it's just being able to recognize them as a human being. They're so important and to go in and then be able to maybe connect them with other resources that can help carry that forward is how I see what a social worker does. Mm. You know, it's that humility of wherever you go in, you're there to see the person as a human being and how, how can I help you? And then how can I help you help yourself? Mm. How can I see you as a person? And it seems like that would take a tremendous amount of non-judgment 
you know, to go into the home of somebody that has nothing and then to go into a home of somebody has everything and just put yourself in their experience without judgment to support them. Yeah, it's, um, it's just a very human experience. And I think that's kind of the heart of social work is having that non-judgmental, but that dignity, like, how do I give this human being, like, how do I see them, you know, they're equal, they're equal, they're in a different situation, or they're in their own challenge. And I, I think across the board, like, regardless of a person's socioeconomic situation, people will have their struggles and their mm-hmm. issues to overcome. And so we're all human. We all have suffering. We all have um, wonderful aspects of self. And, and you know, some people are in very dire situations and just need um, some more support to, to get through that. But we're all human. So I think it's that non, definitely that non-judgmental, but how do I bring dignity? How do I bring yeah. help with dignity? Help with dignity. Helping people help themselves. I think I heard mm-hmm. you say earlier. And sort of the heart of social work, it's just, there's a lot of heart behind it, um, a lot of kindness. So tell us a little bit about why you chose work as social work. How did you, you know, how did you choose this path? Well, I, I hadn't really actually thought of social works. I know when I went away to school, I went to school in Montreal at McGill University. I had to do just a general year of school and still wasn't really sure if I wanted to be in the sciences or the arts. And I remember clearly, I remember exactly where I was on campus walking. And one of my classmates came up to me, she came running up to me and said, did you know there's a social work program at McGill and the deadline's next week, just in case if you're interested. (laughs) And I remember stopping in my tracks. I literally stopped and I think she had to run off somewhere, but had handed me a paper. And it was this moment of oh my goodness, this is exactly what I want to do. I can't believe I never thought of social work before. How will I get my application in in one week? So then I just (laughs) scrambled around. I had to get professor's letters and, you know, contacts. But when I looked at it, it was a perfect fit for me. And I, I did end up getting everything in on time and got in and absolutely loved the social work program. I loved it. And when I looked back at my life, it was fitting for me because if I think of even my jobs as a student, my jobs were um, for people who are in Kincardine at Malcolm House and Trillium Court. So it was working in, you know, retirement homes or nursing homes, helping elderly. So I was already doing these things of, you know, elders who had Alzheimer's, for example, or had to, um, you know, they didn't have, say, bladder control or, you know, and I was having to clean them up when I was 14, 15 years old, um, just again, looking at them as a human being and thinking if this was me someday, I want to be that person for them, what, how I would want to be treated like with Mm -hmm. dignity, it's just a human body having these experiences. So when I look back at who I was growing up, I think social work was a perfect fit to, oh, this is what I get to do all the time. I couldn't love anything more than I just soaked it all in, like learning about families and counseling and, you know, developing grassroots organizations. And I just loved the whole concept of social work and still do. And I keep hearing you say the word over and over again, dignity. It sounds like that's a a strong value of yours. Is that, is that something 
that is communicated throughout social work, or is this something that's that sort of strikes you know you inside of you this sense of dignity? I think it's both. It's something that's you know taught as a grounding principle, for sure. It's one of the grounding principles or ethics of of social work, but it's definitely something that I hold um, I hold very dear to myself towards humans, other humans mm-hmm. as part of. I, I just think it's something we all deserve um, a sense of like dignity, also the confidentiality, keeping it confidential and, you know, these kind of things where trust, like that people can develop a trust and confidentiality, dignity, non-judgmental, and mm-hmm. all of those things are definitely important. It sounds like the groundwork really to do the work that you do mm-hmm. is, is that creating that base. Um, what about, what about diversity? How, you know, when we think about, you know, one of the reasons I started this podcast was because I really wanted to help, you know, community leaders and business leaders um, understand how to create a diverse and inclusive community. And, you know, I think that goes beyond just race, um, uh, you know, it, it encompasses all kinds of things. Um, What's the role of social work in creating diverse and inclusive communities? I think because, um, you know, I think because social work is implicated in so many parts of society that it naturally brings in that element of diversity. So because, you know, we can work with, you know, whatever age group could be in gerontology or it could be with children it can be with adults it can be with teens there's that spectrum of age that can be diverse Um, there's also you know in in the work I do it's very when I do counseling it's any sexual orientation can approach my work so Mm -hmm. any gender any um you know, in private practice people will maybe define a little bit more which age group they want to work in um or have specialties, areas of specialties, but in general, there will be social workers who cover all different races and cultures and age groups and um, socioeconomic classes. And so there's such a diversity in the role of social work that it certainly covers such a range of diverse abilities and Mm -hmm. disabilities and gender and sexual orientation, race, culture, um, socioeconomic class. So what are you seeing in, I know this has been a very different year for people, you know, diversity and inclusion have always been important, but what are you, what are you seeing this year through the work that you're doing, you know, with your clients or what you're seeing in the community? What, what is coming up for you as, uh, the, the very distinct challenges that people are going through right now around diversity and inclusion? Um, I, I think because it's become so much more public and talked about, I think that's, a, I see that as a very positive thing. And I, because your question is, what am I seeing people struggle with? Mm-hmm. I think people are feeling a little bit overwhelmed just in general, not not even specifically around, you know, an issue of diversity, but it's just coping in general, like through COVID time and with their own, a lot of people who have gone through traumas are 
having traumas resurface at this time. And so on top of that, sorting through issues they may have gone through around, you know, racism or um, sexism or other issues like trauma related or memories might come back for people um, because it's being discussed more openly as well. And that, again, I, okay. I see that as a positive thing because it gives people an opportunity to bring up their own issues and their own pains or their own wounds, um, as well as their own limiting thoughts. I think also, even for people who haven't necessarily gone through traumas around diversities themselves are wondering like, what role might have I played in somebody else's trauma, whether it was bullying in school or a comment that was made or something mm. that was not said, something that was said or not said to make somebody feel better or worse, or what am I doing or not doing that might be helping this situation? Am I ignoring it? Am I not addressing it within myself? Mm. So it's all of these kind of questions I think people are asking themselves. And these are sometimes hard questions to look at, really reflect inside oneself, I think, and look at both what's, where are my wounds or where, where are areas I may have wounded somebody mm. else or what are areas that I could help change and make things better on a larger scale or even on a smaller scale. And I think change takes courage. And some people are just feeling a little overwhelmed right now on how mm -hmm. to do that sometimes, or how do I do that when I'm just trying to take care of my own physical health and mental health and try to stay safe in COVID and feeling isolated. And so I think it's layers of things that people are experiencing that I'm seeing a lot in, in my work and even in personal connections with people. Those are some of the things I'm hearing. It's interesting. Yeah. So, so many levels of that, of those, you know, whatever's been happening, you know, through COVID and, you know, um, the, the, the awareness around equity and racism uh, is sort of bubbling to the surface, old hurts from people are experiencing. And then also the reflection of, you know, people who, who haven't necessarily experienced racism who are saying, have I, you know, have I done my part? You know, have mm -hmm. I contributed? You know, it's, it's almost like accountability. People are sort yeah. of going, "How? What's my part in all of this? And how can I be yeah. better?" And uh, and then hearing in there that because I know this can happen even in the work I do is once you start down a path of I should do more and I should, then then it starts to become overwhelming. And then what mm -hmm. can I do? Um, and then it, it can just exacerbate those those thoughts and feelings. Yeah, yeah, and and I think it's. Um helpful for people to talk about it and to look at, you know, what, what steps can I do today or what steps can I do this week mm -hmm. towards resolving something within myself or helping say something or make a change that could help that issue in some way. So steps towards it, I think is yeah. helpful for people. So not, we don't have to boil the ocean, um, on it. What are the steps I can take today? Uh, you know, uh, this week, you know, the next few months that it does so that it, you can boil it down and it's not, you know, it's not overwhelming then. So that's, that's what you would say to your clients when, when, when you see them, you're. Yeah. We've um, to work on kind of break it down to work on one thing at a time. Like if there's this, mm -hmm. like a flood of memories, that's work on one thing at a time, you know, um, same with like changes yeah. on one change at a time until that gets in place and solidified. And then another, small change or big change or whatever a person's ready for and connecting with others with a similar mindset or value system is helpful too, I think. 
mm-hmm. making those changes. Yeah. So put yourself in situations where you can share, you know, your heart and mind and thoughts and feelings with people who share the same things that are important to you. Yeah. Encouraging that. Um, so tell me a little bit more about, you know, you've had such a interesting background of, uh, you know, working in Nunavik, um, uh, with different populations, share with us what, you know, some of the unique experiences of being a social worker. Yeah, I, I, you know, because I went from Kincardine to Montreal to study, that was such a big change, I think, coming from a small town that was, at the time, it's much more diverse now, I think, but when I was growing up here, it was, um, you know, a pretty quiet community, and you knew who everybody was, um, and I think then moving to a city where I didn't know anybody and it was so culturally diverse and different languages and different backgrounds and different, um, so many differences. I think going into social work, I really branched out to see different parts, even within Montreal, like the poorest parts of the city to the wealthiest parts of the city. I met all sorts of people from different backgrounds and in my placements in school, um, which led into my first jobs after university, which was still at the university, um, was integrating adults with um, who fell between the cracks of services um, or who had a, um, any form of disability, integrating them into the workplace. And so my job was really to kind of coach them in a group on social skills and work skills, and then find job placements for them. So working with Uh, different organizations or different places really to be open to having diversity in the workplace, kind of touching back on the diversity question you were asking previously. Mm -hmm. Um, Would they be open to having somebody with a disability, whether it was a physical disability or um, a mental health challenge or a learning disability? Um, So it was a really interesting job in seeing different parts of the city, working with different people and a whole range of just a whole range of different issues that people were were dealing with, as well as I had an opportunity to work a lot in the Jewish community in Montreal, which was really interesting to learn about the Jewish culture and the Jewish culture in Montreal. And I absolutely loved that experience. Um, and within different organizations from schools to um, supervised departments to Um, community organizations and and so on. So such a range there. And from there, um, got my first contract in Nunavik, Quebec in Inukjuak. And going into a different culture for me was um, going into the Inuit culture because Nunavik is compromised of seven Inuit communities on one coast and seven on the other coast. So 14 Inuit communities. So just going into a community where, although they spoke English, um, spoke a different language and learning a new culture and helping to open a resource there for adults with severe and persistent mental health problems was challenging and such personal growth. Again, Mm -hmm. another humbling experience in my life where I had to really work on skills of listening, like listening to others, like reading body language, um, trying to learn a different language, um, accepting the history of the Inuit culture. I mean, the non-Inuit and the white um, settlers and government has done horrific things to the Inuit culture. And that could be a whole different podcast because I could go Mm -hmm. on and on. 
but being a white person going into a community with Inuit with such a horrific um, history of colonization and a continued um, mm. continued racism at times and just um, but such loving people and forgiving and open and beautiful like such a beautiful culture and strong um, vibrant so I worked there for a period of 10 years and did a variety of jobs from opening the resource to some clinical social work which was a lot of crises intervention to the family resource that was supporting parents so I had um, so many different experiences it's uh, I just feel like my whole like heart and mind is filled with these incredible so many stories I've heard in the 24 years that I've done social work and so many different cultures and ages and stories and you know it's just this um, uh, I, I'm not sure how to describe it except to say maybe I feel so honored to be holding all of these stories and experiences that I've had so far with social work because they're so broad and they're so deep and so meaningful, so touching, so many mm -hmm. incredible moments of both pain and joy. And um, I feel so incredibly blessed to have this career that I chose. I'm so passionate about it. And I have such a deep love for the human race as, you know, as difficult as it can be at times, there's so much beauty and so much goodness as well. I can, I can just hear it. And everything that you say is you're just beaming with this, you know, cup runneth over feeling uh, I'm getting from you and it's not because they're all happy moments, but it just hearing that thread of humanness in all the ugly and beautiful moments uh, in, in everything that you say, it's, it's really beautiful. And it really speaks to purpose to me. It really mm -hmm. speaks to a sense of fulfilling your purpose through this work that you do. It does. And it, um, if I may, I'd love to share a story that's actually been coming a lot to my mind in the past past weeks about an experience I had. Um, and I think it kind of represents social work and the experience of social work for me. Mm -hmm. um, when I was doing that group, as I mentioned, um, following my graduating at McGill, the job in helping integrate people into the workforce, mm -hmm. one of the women in my group who was um, probably in her, I would say probably late 30s at the time, um, for confidentiality, I'll just call her M. So yeah. M, M came into the group. She was referred into the group um, because she really couldn't get work because she really wouldn't speak. So she came into the group very quiet and very um, shut down. Um, so for the first number of weeks when we were doing group work and individual work, I really didn't hear her talk or hear her speak, but she slowly connected with another woman in the group um, who ended up also being in the same age group and um, was in the group because she never learned to read. Mm -hmm. So she was an adult, but still couldn't read, but loved working with elders. And so M connected with this other woman. And it turns out they connected because they were in a similar age group, but they both loved working with elders. I found out yeah. through their connection. So slowly M would slowly start to talk. I'd hear her voice a little bit and she would start to talk a little bit in the groups and so when it came time to find the placement for them, she wanted to work 
at the hospital, which was up the street from where the School of Social Work was, um, with the elders in a volunteer program. But she said she would not go and she will not do the interview. So forget it. So I finally convinced her, could I with you? And this is when there was the phone booths still. (laughs) (laughs) I went out with her in the phone booth outside the school social work. And I said, Em, would you allow me to call the woman in charge of the volunteering? And you'll be right beside me. You can hear everything I say. And I'll just let her know that you would be so wonderful working with the elders, but are so nervous about the interview if she would consider that when thinking about you volunteering so she agreed and I had the call and she was so happy and the woman was very lovely and she agreed to have M come in and not to worry about the interview and you know we could work around that and she did an amazing job so both of these women ended up in two different placements working with elders and so beautiful as workers with the elders and did a fantastic job and so Here's the part of the story that's so touching for me um, because mm-hmm. M was Jewish um, in the Jewish culture and they, they practiced the Sabbat or the Sabbath day every Saturday and would mm-hmm. meet with all the family and some of the extended family and read from the Torah in Hebrew. Um, when she was initially referred to this group, her uncle had said, we don't even know if she can speak like English or Hebrew. Um, we don't know if she talks because we never hear her talk. So after this placement, the uncle came back to me and he said, please, I I have to sit down and tell you something. He said, last Saturday, I'm going to get emotional thinking about this because it Mm. touches me so deeply. He said, last Saturday, M, he said, when it came time to read the Torah, M spoke up with the most assertive voice and said, I will do it. So this is the first time many of the family heard her speak in years and opened the Torah and said, she read in perfect Hebrew and he said they could not speak. They were just (laughs) stunned that not only could she speak English, but she read from the Torah and in perfect Hebrew. And it was just such a touching story for me because it completely changed the dynamic in her family and her life. And just, I think it's that example of when people connect and people look into their abilities and not just you know their hurts or their limitations it's such an example of there was so many aspects of it you know her connecting with this other woman and gaining the confidence and then it's that whole thing I was saying about like starting with the individual and then as that grows like connecting with a friend and then connecting in a volunteer organization in a workplace and then back into her family and being able to connect into like the language and the culture and the family and their lives changed. They said, it just changed our lives. Here's this woman. She's fabulous. She's talking now. She's laughing. She's reading the Torah and she's happy. Like we see her happy now and it's bringing them all such joy. So that's just one I mean, there's so uh, many examples, but that's one that's been coming to my mind lately when I've thought about some of my experiences. And again, it's such an honor to be part of those experiences and see those transformations or see those moments that, you know, you might not otherwise see or hear about. Well, I just want to just acknowledge you for sharing that beautiful, beautiful story. Um, You know, And you said seeing people's abilities and and I just hearing the gift of you being able to do that through this work. But, you know, 
I think you can make policy levels at high, you know, you can make decisions and, and you know, you can put in laws and policy and none of that, uh, you know, takes into consideration when you see that person and you see the result of the work, you know, all the theory you learn, but then you get to go and truly make an impact in someone's life. That's um, very, very meaningful and very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So beautiful and creative. You know, I just, what struck me about your story is the creativity also that comes, you know, into consideration with this work you do. It's every person is unique, every situation, everything that brings a person, you know, everyone's life experiences that brings them to the point of working with you um, or other social workers or at any point, like it is completely different than other people. And for sure, uh, you get to meet them in that place. Yeah, it's a, a really wonderful, wonderful experience. So Natalie, thank you so much for sharing not only, you know, you know, um, ideas around social work, but your heart with us, you know, uh, sharing your experiences and your wisdom. I mean, there's so many, I mean, we could have many more conversations like this. I, I want to talk to you further about the work you do around EMDR, um, uh, and the, and I want to talk about that Inuit community and, and want to talk about that because you have Inuit children. I do. Uh, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I would love to share like, more about that and learn about that. So we'll, we will set up another time to, to get into to that and have some more dialogue because I think there's so much more to learn from you. Um, this is final. Yeah, I'd love that too. I'd love it too. What are your closing thoughts? So, you know, this podcast uh, really wanted to share with our community to, uh, you know, to the community, to the community leaders and business leaders. Um, can you share some closing thoughts uh, about the importance of social work in communities and in organizations? Um, can you just share some lasting thoughts around that? Sure, sure. I, I would love to. I think, um, you know, most organizations and business places have access to an employee assistance program, or if not, I, I do recommend having that implemented in a workplace. And the majority of of support through employee assistance programs are often social work. So that's for counseling, but it also can in, in be crises intervention or conflict resolution. And so I think regardless of what organization a person or community setting a person is going into, whether it's a school or a workplace, the military, a hospital, there are going to be social workers. I also wanna point out, um, you know, every person is different. So if somebody ever has a not good experience with a social worker, it's, you know, similar to all other jobs, there are people who are very good at their jobs and very connected to their jobs and other people who might not have as much experience or might be having a bad day or it might not be as positive an experience. So I'm just kind of putting that out there, not to be discouraged to try another person like another counselor or another um, social worker within that organization, but certainly the employee assistant programs are a very easy way to access social work through organizations and workplaces and it's support to staff, it's support to staff and families as an entryway into anything from counseling to the other services that are provided. Wonderful, Natalie. And if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they, you know, they want to talk further about this or they want to 
you know, uh, participate in some therapy with you, how would they get in touch with you? I think the easiest way is probably through either my website or email. So my email is natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E dot positive living at gmail.com or my website, um, www.natalienelkowak.vpweb.ca. So either way, I think is the easiest way to just send an email. And um, I think it comes up if you search under the internet under my name, Nowkawak, N-O-W-K-A-W-A-L-K are the easiest ways to get in touch with me. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I look forward to chatting again. Thank you so much, Jackie. This has been great.